Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo, your host. On this triumphant day, yes, a day of triumph, Palm Sunday, or as we say in the Byzantine church, Flowery Sunday, it's a day of triumph, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem by Jesus Christ. But he enters on a colt, a donkey, a symbol of a peaceful ruler, not a warrior. But speaking of triumph, something triumphant has happened in the city of San Diego relative to our program here. I visited San Diego a few times and I learned something about the city because I'm from the Midwest. Something interesting, which I see as an analogy even for faith. Every morning, there is what's called the marine layer that rolls in from the ocean. It's cloudy. So the mornings are kind of cloudy in San Diego. Yes, in sunny California, the mornings are cloudy. But then the sun gradually comes out and it burns away the marine layer. And now you have the sunny day in sunny California. Well, the clouds over EWTN in San Diego have been burnt away in triumph because I have some exciting news. EWTN Radio has returned to the San Diego, California area. In fact, as of this past Feast of St. Patrick, KFSD, 1450 AM, is on the air. Congratulations to Raul Carroll, Stephen Burley, and the whole team at St. John Paul II Radio, now broadcasting on three stations in Southern California. Again, congratulations to all of you listening on AM 1450, San Diego's only local Catholic radio station. A great triumph. And I'm glad to announce that on this day of triumph, of the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. But then what's going to happen, what's going to unfold this week, is something that's going to be anything but triumph. At least it would seem that way. But this week, as we move through it liturgically, and there's no other way to do that, but to move through this Passion Week, which we also call in the Eastern Churches, Great Week or the Week of the Bridegroom, there's no other way to move through that except through the liturgical life of the church. It takes you right into those events. Those events become our events. We immerse ourselves in that week 
following in the very footsteps, the experience of Christ and his apostles, his disciples, his blessed mother, in all of the drama that's going to go on this week. This is not just a history lesson. There's a lot of great movies about this week of Christ suffering, death, and resurrection. They're often played on the TV around this time of year, and that's wonderful. Okay, they're all great. It's a good thing to watch. But remember, we don't just listen to or watch or study the events of the Bible, especially in the life of Christ, and most especially this coming week. We live those. We live in our whole life, but we especially live it through the liturgy of the church, the prayer of the church during this week. We live those events. Those events are ours. We are those people in the scripture, from Christ to the apostles, to his blessed mother, to the onlookers, to his enemies. Oh, yeah, we are all of that. It has to be that real to us. And what's interesting about this week, the pattern of it, I think, is a very typical pattern of how God deals with us, how he reveals himself to us. Think of the feast and the event of the transfiguration of our Lord on Mount Tabor. Jesus Christ gives a glimpse, an image to just three privileged apostles, Peter, James, and John. He gives a special glimpse of his divinity. He he shines forth with the brilliance of his divinity, but also is showing the glory of his humanness, which is our glory, the glory of what was our original humanness and our ultimate human destiny, which is glorious, even more glorious than our original state as long as, of course, we've been saved and go to heaven. The apostles, these three privileged apostles, see this, and they're just awed by it. They're bowled over, literally knocked on their face. It's so incredible. And they want to stay there. But Jesus tells them, no, we must descend this hill now, and the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. In three days, he will rise. Now, the apostles don't understand this. And they will eventually, though, have to endure what Jesus predicted, the suffering and death, and they'll be confused, as we often are. Where is God in this? How can God allow such terrible things to happen? Why doesn't God answer our prayers? Why me? Why do I have to suffer? Why is there so much evil in the world? Think of the befuddlement of the apostles during that time to see their great master just after everybody has shouted hosanna in the highest here comes this great victor this triumphant leader into jerusalem on a donkey and everybody's praising him they heard about how he raised lazarus from the dead how he cured the blind raised people from illness and so on so they're all behind him and that man that seemed invincible the leader some even believe to be the Messiah, is now humiliated, weak, without any kind of defense, and then culminated on the cross, put in a cave, dead? I mean, just imagine the fall from that joy and that sense of triumph that these apostles had in just one week, less than a week, within only a couple days, he would be arrested, betrayed by Judas, and put on the cross. Well, What would happen, though, afterwards would be the ultimate triumph, the resurrection. But you notice the pattern? It's a glimpse, a hint at what will be as though Christ was telling the apostles, remember this vision. I'm going to give you a taste of it so you remember that this is what it's all about because we're going to go through a very dark, confusing time. So hang on to this vision. I'm going to show you. Remember it well. Then they go through the dark time, and then there is the triumph that he promised 
that he hinted at on Mount Tabor. And isn't that oftentimes the rhythm of our life with Christ? He gives us hints of goodness, just the fact that we're alive on this beautiful earth that he has created, this beautiful life. I'm talking about life as God intended it to be, not how it has been wounded. So it is beautiful and glorious, and God is good. And when we're living according to God, everything is good. But then we have triumph. It seems like, as they say, no good deed goes unpunished, it seems. Success is always punished, it seems. It always seems to be something that comes along out of left field and makes us pay for whatever happiness we've had so that a life is not always so happy. We're like the apostles on Mount Tabor. We wanted to be happy. We want those great moments, those great moments even of our relationship with God, our relationship with people, a happy marriage, good family life, love between friends, our team winning the championship, whatever it is that is wonderful and victorious. We want that all the time. But then something comes along and we're disappointed or crestfallen. We even sometimes run to despair. But that's what where God wants us to hold on to that original vision, that goodness Because then there is a triumph, and there will be a triumph for us, if not fully in this life, certainly in the next life and forever. When Jesus appeared after his resurrection, he then eventually ascended into heaven. So the triumph would continue to soar. It would actually have higher and higher levels. And then he would send the Holy Spirit upon the apostles so they could be enlivened with that presence of the Holy Spirit, become men of faith, of wisdom, of holiness. And so they could then eventually come to heaven and share in the ultimate triumph. And the ultimate triumph is that when Christ ascended to heaven, what did he do? He took his human nature with him. There's the ultimate triumph. Imagine from the lowliness of God actually descending into hell. That's right. It's bad enough he was put in a tomb in the earth. He went down that way. In fact, he went down by his incarnation, his condescension, as we say, the creator becoming lower than himself by his birth in a human form, yet still remaining the creator. Then he goes low to be crucified, to be humiliated. He goes even lower to be put in a cave, dug in the earth. And he goes even to the lowliest point of all, as he descends into Hades on what we now know today as Holy and Great Saturday, the time before his death on the cross and his resurrection, where he descends into hell. That oftentimes gets underplayed, but that's the significant part. That's the turning point. That was the victory. The victory was being won down there in Hades in hell. Holy Saturday, you know, the Easter Vigil. And for the Eastern churches, we have a magnificent service called the Jerusalem Matins, in which we actually go with Christ into Hades. We actually take a shroud, a painting, an icon of his body that has been placed in the tomb, and we take it on our shoulders. The priest takes it, and we go in procession with it three times, singing, Holy God, Holy and Mighty, Holy and Mortal, have mercy on us. That's our descent with Christ into Hades, to witness to be part of the defeat of Hades, the breaking of the bonds of hell, and the release of the prisoners there. And then he rises up on the resurrection day, and then continues to rise by ascending to heaven and taking our nature with him and mounting human nature on the throne with him. Can you imagine such triumph? Hinted at on Mount Tabor, we went through doubt and darkness in the meantime as we do in life, but there is an ultimate triumph which has been promised, prophesied, and fulfilled in the resurrected and ascended 
Christ. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. A Lenten Reflection with Monsignor Charles Pope. As Lent progresses, we move closer and closer to Good Friday, where our Lord will suffer so much for us. One of the underconfessed sins is greed. It's always that other guy that's greedy, that guy that earns a dollar more an hour than I do. We, we tend to think it's other people that are greedy, but I'm not. I wonder, though, if all of us don't realize that greed is a real problem for us. Greed is the insatiable desire for more. And in Lent, one of the goals of fasting and almsgiving is to begin to look to this desire in our life. We just have too much stuff, and it weighs us down. Lent's a good time to clean your closet. Lent is a good time to let go of some things and perhaps bring some things to the thrift shop, give some clothing to the poor. We always think that we need more, and that's that insatiable desire for more, and it's never enough. So in Lent, we look to repent of our greed. Lenten programs now through Holy Thursday on EWTN Radio and TV. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Law, your host. And once again, on this Sunday of triumph, we are joyful, not only for the triumph of Jesus Christ entering in Jerusalem, because remember, that's us there with him, singing Hosanna, spreading those palm branches out. We also rejoice in the triumph of the return of EW10 Radio to the San Diego area on KFSD 1450 AM. Again, congratulations to Raul Carroll, Stephen Burley, and the whole team at St. John Paul II Radio, now broadcasting on three stations in Southern California. And again, this is the only local Catholic radio station in San Diego, AM 1450. Congratulations on this day of triumph. But as I mentioned, after this day of triumph, we go into a descent into what has left many with despair, confusion, disappointment. The apostles, Peter, even to the point of denying Christ three times. And of course, we know about Judas 
Judas's denial and despair. And the rest of the apostles, where were they? They're hiding, cowering. What happened? This great master that we've been following seems so defeated, so defenseless. Well, this week is called Week of the Bridegroom, because what's happening is the Bridegroom Christ is being prepared for what will be the mystical union, the mystical marriage with his bride, the world, humanity, come the fullness in the church, redeemed on the mystical bed of the cross. That's right. That's what that is. He becomes the new Adam, his virgin mother, the new Eve, she representing us. And he consummates a mystical marriage on the bed of the cross and renews humanity, reconceives humanity mystically. You see, the first ones failed. The first man and woman failed. So God, in his love for us, didn't want it to be a failure. He didn't want that to be the final word. He wanted his plan to triumph. So he'll do it all over again. Only now in a whole higher way, a mystical way, he himself will become the faithful man, the new Adam, his mother, the new Eve. And they will do together what Adam and Eve failed to do and redeem the human race. So during this preparation of the bridegroom for his wedding, his mystical wedding, we have a magnificently deep and profound week liturgically here as we walk through Christ through these events. On the first day, it's Monday, tomorrow, is Great and Holy Monday. The theme here is the story of Joseph. Remember from Genesis chapter 37? He was a prefigurement of Christ's suffering. See, we go into the Old Testament and we look at all those prefigurements of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole Old Testament is. There was a professor in the seminary I was at in Rome, and he used to say, he taught Old Testament, he used to say, you don't even need the New Testament. Christ is all over the Old Testament. Now, he meant that as hyperbole, as a, to make a point. He didn't mean really, literally, we don't need the New Testament, but he was emphasizing so much that Christ and the types of the architect Christ and his blessed mother are so replete in the Old Testament as to make the New Testament almost unnecessary. And that's what we do during this Holy Week. We go into the Old Testament and we see these prefigurements of Christ. And one of those is St. Joseph on Monday. And we will sing this repeated chant during this bridegroom matins. The chant is this, Behold, the bridegroom is coming in the middle of the night. Blessed is the servant he shall find awake, but the one he shall find neglectful will not be worthy of him. Beware, therefore, O my soul, do not fall into a deep slumber, lest you be delivered to death and the door of the kingdom be closed to you. Watch instead and cry out, Holy, holy are you, O God, through the intercession of the mother of God. Have mercy on us. See, that troll power is repeated, so that sets the tone. The reality of this mystical reality of the wedding of the bridegroom Christ with the bride is being prepared as they do for weddings. Lots of preparation for a wedding, for the bride especially and the bridegroom. The next day, Tuesday, features the gospel from Matthew chapter 24 through 26, the parable of the ten virgins and our readiness for judgment day. Yes, we focus on the reality of our judgment. We get very, very serious during this week. We really immerse ourselves in the mystery of suffering, redemptive suffering, repentance, sin, betrayal, and forgiveness and redemption. And then, of course, resurrection. On Great and Holy Wednesday, we say that as Judas betrays Christ for 30 pieces of silver, the woman anoints Christ's feet for her sins and to honor Christ. And the anointing takes place at the evening service 
in the Byzantine church after the pre-sanctified liturgy. And this anointing is for the healing of soul and body in preparation for the commemoration of the mystical supper the next day. So it is the seventh sacrament of the church, which is the anointing of the sick. And we do that because Christ is a divine physician. And we're seeking to be healed during Holy Week so we can receive then Christ in the mystical supper the next day. And healing is always psychosomatic. In other words, body and soul, because that's how we are. And sickness of body came into being because of sickness of soul, sin. So we treat both at the same time. And so we are anointed for the forgiveness of our sins and for the healing of our body and soul. This anointing, the seventh sacrament of the church, does not replace confession where confession is needed. In fact, we are obviously are highly urged by the church to make at least one confession during Holy Week or Lent. We should go more often, but at the very least, we go to confession, confess our sins to be healed, redeemed. So this anointing does not replace confession. It goes along with it as part of our healing of soul and body. On Holy Thursday, well, that's a big one. That one's packed. We got four events going on. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. The institution of the Holy Eucharist. You know, the mystical supper or last supper. We call it mystical supper in the Eastern churches. Christ's agony in the garden and the betrayal of Christ by Judas. And again, we're praying in the morning, the bridegroom matins. In the evening, we have the vespers with the liturgy of St. Basil. In our church, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish in Homer Glen, Illinois, forever in the area, our church will remain open all night on Holy Thursday. We oftentimes get many visitors who are coming to do adoration or to do the great tradition from Rome of the seven church walk, where you visit seven churches on the evening of Holy Thursday and pray in them or do Eucharistic adoration. We don't have Eucharistic adoration in the same way that Latin Rite does. However, we have it in different form. The Eucharist is always present in the tabernacle, which is always on the main altar, the altar of sacrifice in our sanctuary behind the icon screen. And that, together with all the icons and the candles and the chandelier and the incense, makes God, Jesus Christ, physically present in the church at all times. So, an ascent Eucharistic adoration, Byzantine style, is available all the time in the church itself. It doesn't have to be in a separate place. It's in the church itself because Eucharist is always there and so are the icons. On a Good Friday, Holy and Great Friday, Christ suffering and death on the cross and his burial on a tomb. In the morning, we read 12 Passion Gospels. Now, you might think, well, what's 12 Gospels? Well, it's actually the four Gospels, but the Passion part of them are read in their entirety until we actually end up with actually 12 readings, even though it's just four Gospels. That happens in the morning. Then there's the royal hours in the afternoon. And finally, the magnificent vespers with the carrying of the shroud of Christ by the priests laid into what is a structure in the church that represents the tomb. And the church is darkened, only candlelight. People come forward and reverence the body of Christ that is now laid in the tomb like Joseph of Arimathea Nicodemus did. And the church again remains open throughout the night for a vigil. Then that brings us to Holy and Great Saturday, as I mentioned before, the celebration of Christ's descent into hell with the Jerusalem Matins and then the Easter Vigil, the Vespers with Basil. And that then brings us to the brink of the great triumph of the resurrection. The week of the bridegroom, rich and deep. Plunge yourself into it. If you're in the area, Annunciation Church will be open all night, Holy Thursday and Holy and Great Friday. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. 
To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. to EWTN for inspiring Lenten programming. This is Father Thomas Petrie, Godly Counsel on Morning Glory. Lent is a time of spiritual renewal when the church journeys with Christ, who is both God and man, and in his humanity can suffer, can be hungry, can sacrifice just as much as we can, in fact, even more. So during this Lenten season, we give things up in our penance to journey with him. We pray more to come closer to him, and we give alms so that, like Christ, we can offer something up for the poor, Christ who offered himself up for us. During this Lenten season, all of us at EWTN Radio are praying that you have a holy and blessed season to grow closer to Christ as we prepare for the Paschal celebration. Lenten programs now through Holy Thursday on EWTN Radio and TV. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.